It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and... Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. Follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. Coming up in this week's episode, Four Shorties. First, to kick us off, is a topic by Agent ETA. What do you got for us, ETA? Um, my topic is Terra Preta, and uh, Terra Preta de Indio, as, as uh, some people call it. It's uh, referred to sometimes as a magic soil. Um, it's a very dark, like almost literally black earth in a lot of areas, although there is some difference between some of the dirt that is found within South America, but it's a, it's a dark soil that's found, with, uh, found within South America. And um, the main thing that uh, I actually like to touch on with this particular subject is that it has been theorized and, and um, supposedly confirmed that it is supposed to be a man-made soil of prehistoric origin. And um, it's really high in like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and calcium, um, much higher than the usual like uh, uh, soils that surround it typically. Um, uh, some people um, refer to it as a, a microbial reef um, because it promotes and sustains the growth of, uh, uh, what's the term? Um, my, uh, my, my core, I forget, I forget what the damn term, but anyways, the term, what it means, it basically... Um, it has a lot of beneficial microbes and um, it also retains like a certain amount of uh, fertility for a very long period of time, meaning that it basically self-regenerates, um, not the dirt itself, but like the, uh, you know, like I said, the, mic the microbes and um, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium and calcium and stuff like that. It, it, it regenerates those, those things. And it's a very highly sought after commodity in South America. There's a lot of farmers that actually look for this stuff. Because you can spread it throughout a, a swath of land that um, previously was, you know, devoid of a lot of nutrients or what have you. And this dirt will, you know, make that land um, very fertile, you know, in, within a certain amount of time because this dirt is self-replicating. Um, but the thing that, like I said, that interests me the most is that it's been theorized that this is a man-made soil. And I think that's pretty amazing because... I mean, think about the, the implications of that. It's a man-made soil, and not only that, but it's it's uh, been theorized that it's an ancient soil that's been around for quite some time, and it's self-replicating. That's the reason why it's still around. Um, there was actually a, um, a study that was done in a university. Um, it was Cornell U University, their Department of Crop and Soil Sciences. Um, they uh, they did a, a pretty interesting study, and their 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 people were blown away by what by what they found. Um, it's a a very interesting soil that is unlike anything else that you'll find around the world. So if a if a culture did develop this soil, they must have been very advanced agriculturally, you know. And if you hear if you um if you've heard or read any of the accounts of like the first European that um visited the Amazon and traveled it from west to east, he talked, and I forget the guy's name, forgive me, but um, I forget the fellow's name that did that, but he described um, civilizations that were just that, very advanced agriculturally. Uh, they had a lot of structures along the uh, Amazon, along the river. Um, it was a, a very large civilization and um, very different from Europe, but also very advanced, you know. Um, the next European to visit that area was, was you know, multiple hundred, hundreds of years afterwards, so... 
it, it's been theorized that basically, you know, that first European gave them, you know, diseases like, like, you know, smallpox or something like that, that they had no, no uh, antibodies for and it just ravaged the population. And by the time, by the time the next European was, was there, um, you know, that whole civilization was just gone, you know, and the forest had taken over. Do you have any opinions on that, Agent Anderson? I've actually have never heard of this before, but it sounds really interesting, especially because they're studying it at universities. So it's not like a ghost story or something where it's kind of mm. could be made up. And I like the potential that it could have been something that was actually engineered rather than something that's uh, naturally occurring. But mm. other than that, I don't really know a whole lot about it because this is pretty much the first I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting uh, dirt because also in those same university trials, Cornell University, supposedly it was uh, proved that um, the uh, terra preta would increase crop yields by as much as eight hundred percent. I mean, that's that's pretty damn impressive, you know. And there's actually a book if the if uh, the listeners want to look up look this up, it's called uh, Amazonian Dark Earths. Um, you know, it was by uh, let me let me look this up real quick. Amazonian Dark Earths. Okay, so it was by Johannes Lehman, um, Desiree C. Kern, Bruno Glacier, and William I. Woods. So the, the name of the book is Amazonian Dark Earths. And um, if you want to get into a really deep dive on the subject, I think that's a really good spot to start. All right, then I'll do my first topic, The Paulding Light. Paulding, Michigan, 1966. Teenagers witness a bizarre light while minding their own business in the woods and report it to local law enforcement. Ever since, the light can be seen frequently from a specific vantage point. Witnesses report a light that grows and dims in brightness, moves around, flashes, and does other things that a light ought not do. When people search for the light in the distance, they always find the same thing, nothing. Local legend has it that a railway used to run through the valley. One night, long ago, a brakeman tended to rail cars stuck on the tracks. An oncoming train approached, and the man attempted to signal with his lantern. Unfortunately, the train was unable to stop on time, smashing into the cars and killing the brakeman. He wanders the valley to this day with his lantern, mourning those he was unable to save. Unlike most things discussed on this show, people can see the Paulding light for themselves. Countless videos and pictures are available online, or you can see it in person as it appears frequently. It even has reviews on Google. If it is so easy to observe, then why hasn't it been investigated, you ask? Well, it turns out, there have been several investigations. For example, the television show Fact or Faked looked into the light on Episode 5 of Season 1. Despite an illuminating effort, the show was unable to find a cause behind the light. They placed multiple cameras to catch it on film, and catch it they did. Once they had it in their sights, the show's team devised a devious plan. Their team divided in two, spotters and scouts. The spotters stayed put and let the scouts to the light. 
But when they got there, they found nothing. The weird thing was, the spotters still saw the light. They should have been standing right next to it, yet the scouts saw nothing. They also checked for natural gases that could cause the light, but again came up short. Refusing to give up, they flew an airplane equipped with a 2.5 million candle power light at low altitude to see if airplanes could be the cause. Again, they failed to find a solution. It seems impossible that they could stand right next to the light and yet not see it. But is it impossible? In 2010, students from Michigan Tech battled the Paulding light with science and a telescope. While viewing the light through the telescope, they saw cars and an adopt a highway sign? But how? When fact or faked went to the light, they didn't see any roads, cars, or signs, only trees. What is this sorcery? Turns out, it's an inversion layer. This is when the natural order of things is upended and a layer of cold air gets trapped below a layer of hot air. Usually air gets colder as you go up. A temperature inversion can do all sorts of silly things, like bend light and cause mirages. In this case, light from Highway 45 in the distance is bent and magnified so that people at a certain vantage point can see it, even though there is no line of sight. A person standing in the spot where the light appears to be will see nothing, because the light is bent around them, while an observer in just the right spot will see the distant highway. Although the Paulding light may not be a forlorn ghost, it's still a fascinating case where something strange ends up having an earthly explanation. Alright, that's what I got on the Paulding light. One of my favorite cases, not just because it was solved and it's not actually a ghost, doesn't mean it's still not a lot of fun. What topic do you got for us next, Agent ETA? Please, aliens, don't make me take you down onto the ground and lay on top of you for 25 minutes. So our next topic is actually kind of two topics in one, but it uh, refers to one person in general, which is George St. Pierre. Um, the reason why I, I threw this in is because I'm a big mixed martial arts fan, and I kind of want to throw this in just for kind of shits and giggles, you know. Um, it's a fun little story. So George St. Pierre is a legend in mixed martial arts. Um, he had a record of 26, 2, and 0. Um he had an incredible win streaks uh, throughout his career. His first his first loss was actually to Matt Hughes, which is another legend. He lost by armbar, um, but after that he he went on another streak and um, he lost to Matt Sarah. But after that he actually went on probably what some people might call one of the more legendary streaks uh, in MMA history. He went on a thirteen win streak, and mind you, twelve of those thirteen victories were all championship fights this is within the welterweight division um i mean it's a pretty impressive uh title reign at any rate uh this is just kind of setting up the backstory for the the person that we're talking about if you uh, are not already familiar with him so gsp um is a very interesting character he's a french canadian out of uh, canada obviously and um it, i think some of the story might have been a little um 
misunderstood because the 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 disconnect in translation there because he speaks English and he speaks it pretty well, but you can tell some of the time like sometimes when he's talking, I don't think the words he's using means what he thinks it means. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> so, in my opinion, that makes it even more entertaining. So maybe that's just my own you know, uh, morbid, uh, curiosity, but at any rate, um, so, uh, GSP says that, um, he has, uh, a lot of missing time from, you know, stinting back from when he was a child. So from his explanation, um, so this all started in 2013 when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and, uh, Joe Rogan had heard that, you know, he had some experiences with aliens or he was interested in it. Um, he kind of kept on picking at him during the interview. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, trying to get more information out of him. You know what I mean? And, and I find it funny to watch, to be honest, be, being the fan that I am of MMA, you know, Andrew Rogan, you know, but, um, so he says that he has, uh, he would, you know, he would, uh, maybe fall asleep or maybe have like body paralysis. He said like, he would look at the time on the clock and like, maybe I go to sleep, you know, and then uh, I would see that the time has passed, you know, um, a couple hours or something like that you know, as uh, what he described uh, initially. Um, and then later on, he described that, you know, he'd be driving at certain points and then, then he uh, would see that like time would pass like a couple hours, you know what I mean? Um, which is kind of funny, you know, it, it's uh, the, the way he describes it, you know what I mean? It's kind of funny is what I mean, but it's very similar to some of the descriptions that other people um, claim when they, when they talk about UFO abduction. And this is one of the things that uh, GSP seems to be worried about because he says that he has missing time from when he was a child. And um, he also says that, uh, you know, he, he uh, suspects uh, aliens, you know. So this actually uh, um, is a good segue into the next uh, little topic relating to him. Is um, So he had a UFO encounter. Um, supposedly, and, uh, it wasn't just him. There was actually uh, a couple other people with him. Um, I believe there was, uh, at least three other people with him. And one of the other people with him was, uh, uh Rashad Evans, which is another legend in MMA. Um, uh, just a quick little side note. Uh, his record was 24, eight and one. And, um, he was a former light heavyweight championship. I think at the time, um, I think he was past his light heavyweight championship reign, I think, because he, he won the light, he light heavyweight championship from Forrest Griffin. And then um, in his first defense, he was knocked out with a front kick, I believe, to the face by Leota Machida. I, I forget the finish, but I know that for sure it was Leota Machida who, uh, who finished him and, and won that belt in his first defense. But at, at any rate, so uh, so let, let's set the, the scene for this little uh, encounter. Um, they were in New Mexico and they were on their way back from, um, a regular workout session. And it was, um, Rashad Evans, George St. Pierre, um, Ali Abdelaziz, um, which is now currently most people would know him as a, uh, like a man, a manager for, um, some pretty high level mixed martial artists. Um, but back then he was a timekeeper for, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the matchmaker for, um, I believe it was one championship. I think I forget, but he was a matchmaker for, for one of the, uh, lower level mixed martial arts, uh, promotions in this country. Um, at any rate, all three of these people 
uh, collaborate, you know, uh, <laughs> edit, sorry, collaborate. That's not the right word at all. <laughs> okay. So all three of these people actually give a, um, a pretty similar account to what they witnessed. So they were on their way back to Greg Jackson's house, um, which is one of the, one of the trainers, um, that they worked with. And, um, they all witnessed, um, a bright light that appeared in the sky. And then basically long story short, there was a bright, uh, um, object that appeared in the sky. And, um, after it was there for a couple minutes, it, it shot up straight into the sky, basically, you know, and, and, um, exited their vision. George St. Pierre says that he saw the bright light, uh, appear in the sky um, it hovered for about a minute or two and then shot straight up. He, he doesn't really go too much into explanation. Um, it's actually more interesting, I think, to listen to Rashad Evans' explanation of the events uh, as far as uh, entertainment, I, I, I guess. So Rashad Evans um, tells a story like this. He says um, that, uh, like I said, they were in New Mexico returning from a practice, and he describes that, uh, that they were in – he actually goes into some – decent uh, detail at the beginning beginning of the story which either means that he's a good storyteller or i think the, he's telling the truth and he actually did saw he, he saw something he witnessed something and he's you know uh, describing this event in detail because um it was a uh, somewhat of an important event in his life you know what i mean so um he describes actually that um there were mountains off to the west this is as as they were driving um, there were mountains off to the west, and it was getting dark. Um, so it was, you know, getting into the evening. Um, it lit up the sky, and other people on the freeway reacted to it. They were slowing down to look at it. Um, um, you know, that that's kind of important, I think, because he also says that people around them were reacting to the same thing that they were seeing, you know. So everybody in the car said, you know, what what, what the hell are we looking at, you know. And then, you know, people around them on the freeway were also hitting their brakes, slowing down to look at this object, you know? So I think that's kind of important because it's, it's a, you know, you hear that same scenario played out time and time again in many different UFO encounters and sightings, you know? So, I mean, it, it may be very circumstantial, but I, I think it's a kind of an, uh, you know, an important side note to touch on, you know? But, um, I, I think it's a, just kind of a, a funny thing because I, I've been looking for other people's accounts um, on this incident and I can't really find uh, any other, you know, descriptions from any other witnesses um, that aren't related to them, you know, but uh, I like to think it's a real story myself just because, uh, like I said, I am a big MMA fan and um, I have a lot of respect for these these two individuals, the main two individuals that we uh, mentioned in the story. And I don't know, it's kind of just a fun little story to think about, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a lot of fun because of the people involved. So I'm also an MMA fan. And just to have not only somebody like George St. Pierre, who's an absolute legend, but also somebody like Rashad Evans backing up his story, it's highly unusual. You know, it'd be like if you if you had like, I don't know, you know, pick, you know, like, let's say Michael Jordan and, you know, Vlade Divas. Well, not Vlade, actually. I'm not, I'm not calling Rashad <laughs> Vlade. Sorry. Let me, so it's, it'd be like if you had okay. Michael, Michael Jordan see a UFO and Scottie Pippen backed him up. You know what I mean? Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said Vlade. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> no, well, please don't. 
I don't want I don't want to I don't want to disrespect Rashad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, right when you said that, I was like, what? <laughs> One thing I'd like to point out to people not familiar with mixed martial arts, the we're talking about the promotion, the ultimate fighting championship, the UFC, which I'm sure you've heard of. There's a difference in records between that and let's say boxing. So in boxing, it's pretty typical for a promoter to take a prospect and give them a lot of easy fights to build them up and kind of pad their record. So if you see a boxing record of, you know, it's not unusual to see like 30, 40 fights with, you know, one or two losses, but in mixed martial arts, you'll see somebody, we'll, we'll talk about somebody who's worth, we're calling one of the best who's ever done it. And they have like eight losses, 10 losses, 20 losses. But the difference is in the UFC, they don't really give them once they get to a certain level, and even before then, they don't get any easy fights. They are only going up against absolute beasts and monsters. That's all they fight. So it's not unusual to see somebody who is the best ever have a lot of losses on their record. I just, I don't know if that, it's probably not relevant. I just wanted to toss that out for people not familiar with the sport who might think, wait, what was that record? That doesn't sound like that good of a record. But if you look at the people that they fought, mm-hmm. that is a good record. Back to the topic. The only other thing, uh, I kind of want to touch on is how when you're saying there were no other witness accounts of the event with when they were in the mm-hmm. car, mm-hmm. but that's pretty typical because the vast majority of people that see a UFO don't actually report it. And we, so for example, the, one of the topics we touched on before was, or one of our previous episodes was on the Phoenix lights and many of the, not all, but a lot of the witness statements you can find online, if you go out to these online databases, they were reported way after the fact because people didn't want to report it when they saw it, whether they're embarrassed, they're afraid of professional repercussions, or they just don't want to remember it because it was just too weird. But for whatever reason, a lot of people just don't report these things. So it doesn't surprise me that other witnesses saw it and didn't report it. And in fact, in today's modern age, they might not even know where to report it. They're not going to call up their mom or the police. I mean, where are they going to report it? I wouldn't know where to, well, I would, but most people wouldn't know where to report it. It's my point. Yeah. All right. I think uh, I'll do, um, I got one more topic I'll touch on and then that'll be the last one of the show. Noise. Here we go. The Haunted Laboratory of Warwick, England. Actually a medical manufacturing company but laboratory sounds better. Vic Tandy worked at this doomed place in the early 80s. The laboratory was rumored to be haunted, but Tandy wasn't afraid of ghosts. One evening nearly changed this. Working late, he had a frightening encounter. He describes the experience in his own words. I was sweating but cold, and the feeling of depression was noticeable. But there was something else. It was as though something was in the room with me. He saw an apparition from the corner of his eye, but when he turned to look, it was gone. Most people would think twice about coming to work the next day, but Tandy didn't even think once. And he brought a sword. Because he was a fencer, and because he wasn't afraid of ghosts using that sword to recruit him to their ranks. Tandy clamped the sword in a vise to polish it. It started to move all by itself. 
While most of us would run screaming like babies and never return, Tandy unsheathed science and slew the ghost. Hold on now. He saw a ghost and it tried to kill him with his own sword. Science knows nothing that can do such things. Or does it? With a swishing stroke of genius, Tandy deduced that infrasound was responsible for making his sword move. What on earth is infrasound? Sound that is infra, of course. People can hear frequencies from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Most people have a narrower range, and that range further narrows with age. Below this range is infrasound, and above it is ultrasound. Tandy's laboratory was infested with infrasound at the frequency of about 19 hertz. In addition, the room was just the right size to cause a standing wave. This means that there were certain spots in the room where the frequency of 19 hertz was more intense. This frequency made the sword vibrate, but it also made Tandy's eyeballs vibrate. Turns out, the resonant frequency of eyeballs is about 19 hertz. This can cause distortions, especially in peripheral vision. This distortion can be interpreted by the brain as human-shaped, sort of like those ink blot things. But infrasound can also cause physical effects, like feelings of awe, fear, sweating, and other things. Tandy's discovery has led many to suspect that other haunted places may be infested with sound, not ghosts. This case, along with the Paulding Light, are some of my favorite. They prove that not all strange things are caused by hoaxes and hallucinations, and people really do experience extraordinary things they can't explain. This isn't to say that everything can be explained by science, but it can be exciting to have a seemingly impossible mystery solved. I, I think it's very interesting that, that this guy, Vic Tandy, experienced something that, that some people may have just uh, written up as a paranormal experience or, you know, something that was just very, very odd, you know. But this guy, uh, coming from the perspective that he was, decided to investigate, you know. And uh, I find it very, very funny that he, he brought his uh, fencing sword to yeah. to the to work. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he says, hey, I, you know, he claims that he wasn't afraid of apparitions or anything, you know. So, but why would you bring your sword to work, though? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy has ice water for blood or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but it uh, obviously it ended up being the right thing to do because that ended up leading him towards the discovery of why this was happening. You know, it's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a very interesting. It's a, it's a fun story. Yeah. I think it's a, yeah, it's a cool little story to, to look into. <laughs> yeah. And like I said uh, in my write up, uh, one of the reasons I like this case and the Paulding lights also is that it, um, a lot of times, you know, the skeptics will say, oh, those people, they're just making these stories up. But this proves that people really do see weird things that they can't explain. If you were not a scientist and you had no idea how this could be caused by infrasound, you would never, ever in a million years figure out that the, that the resonant frequency of your eyeball was causing you to see a distortion that your brain interpreted as a ghost. Nobody's yeah. going to figure that out. That's, that's oh, incredible. No. That's I, I would never have thought of that in a million years. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you have to be a pretty special individual in order to actually even consider something like that. Yeah, so I think it's really exciting because it proves that people do see really weird stuff. And it's exciting because they actually have a solution for it. They figured out what caused it in this case. And I don't mean to say that all ghosts are caused by infrasound, but in this case it was, and in other cases it may be. And I just find that completely interesting. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week's episode. Join us next time for a topic we have not yet chosen. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a good review wherever you listen to podcasts.